0: Today, I wanted to talk to you about the five reasons Jesus came to die. The five reasons Jesus came to die. Because if we lose sight of those reasons, we actually miss the gospel altogether. But when they use a light, if you think about it, to cut through steel, they don't use a floodlight, right? Uh, they, They don't even use a spotlight, they use the most condensed light possible, which is a laser, right? And uh, they can only use a laser to cut through items like steel. Because the more focused the light beam is, the more powerful and effective that light becomes. Now, in the same way, focus is what makes a person very successful. It's what makes a person effective. It's what makes us fruitful, Focus. Now, if you asked what is focus, focus is really just the elimination of options. If you have no other option, otherwise just one, you know, uh, that that focus is what will be extremely beneficial to you and I. Now, throughout the last 2,000 years of human history, the world has attempted to distract the church from its focus. To get the church to jump on board with other things, And this is what we call mission drift, is when the church drifts off of its mission and it drifts into a direction that is completely unfruitful and does not have any lasting or eternal value to it. So we have to constantly make sure we as a church, we don't drift off of God's truth. The question is, how does the enemy go about distracting the church as the enemy has throughout the history of the church? Well, simple. By offering the body of Christ alternative gospels or offering the body of Christ a different spin on the gospel or offering the body of Christ what the apostle Paul calls different gospels. In Galatians 1, 6 through 9, he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, Christ, for a different gospel, he says. I'm amazed how quickly you did that. I thought it was going to happen, but I didn't realize it was going to be this quick. (laughs) I knew some people are going to have a problem with this, but I didn't realize it was going to happen immediately, Paul says. So he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Christ for a different gospel, which is really not a gospel at all. Only there are some who are disturbed, uh, disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you already, that person is accursed. As we have already said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he says it the second time, he is to be accursed So, to discover what the actual gospel is, because that's that's a pretty dire warning from the Apostle Paul himself, don't you think? (laughs) And so, mission drift is not a mistake. Mission drift is a major problem. I mean, there's, there's a huge consequence that comes to mission drift. And so, to discover this gospel, we have to ask the question that goes straight to the very heart of Christ's work. And today I want to share that question with you. And that question is simply this Are you ready? In order to find the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to ask the question Why did Jesus come to die? not why did he come to earth, why did Jesus come to die? If you can answer that question accurately and scripturally, then you are right on target with this purpose that God has called us to as a church, individually and corporately. So today we're going to circle around that question, and we're going to keep on drilling until we get the actual answer as to why did Jesus not just come to earth, but come to die on this earth? That is the most important question any human can ever ask in his lifetime. So you will see, as the world continues to barrel down this road towards total paganism, their first goal would have to be to redefine or repurpose or change the reason Jesus came to die. If you can change that, you can change everything else. If you can change the purpose of His death, you can change the purpose of His life. If you can change the purpose of Christ's life, you can change the whole entire gospel. And if the gospel can be shot into a different direction, it will remain fruitless. So the moment you take something... If you take the purpose out of something, it loses its value completely. Imagine you take the purpose out of a lawn mower, and you say, here's this thing that cannot mow the lawn. Well, it's got no value anymore. How many of you would like to mow your lawn, and you go and buy a machine that cannot mow your lawn? You see, if you take a car that cannot drive, how valuable is that to you? It loses its value the moment it loses its purpose. If you you take a boat that cannot float, there's no value to that thing. What about a phone that cannot switch on? Man, this phone is so valuable until it stops switching on. So the moment something loses its purpose, it also at the same time loses its value. And to uh, 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 to take the gospel and to give it a purpose outside of what God purposed for it, it immediately becomes of no value. so we have to realize that the consequences of a mission drift, the church's mission drift, is is, is devastating. And to turn a Christian church into a pagan worship center is simple. All you have to do is you have to revise the, the purpose of the gospel. You have to alter that purpose. You have to change that purpose to something else. And a worship center like this will become not just a Christian, not a Christian worship center, but a pagan worship center. So, in the same way, the world system has worked hard at changing, of course, the purpose of the gospel. The world is currently attempting to give the gospel a different reason. Reasons like received Christ, He came to this earth to die to shed his blood so that we can escape hardships. You think it's not true? I'll tell you, Tina and I, we we were driving up Wisconsin just about a month or so ago, and on our way through Wisconsin, you have all these billboards, right? And uh, there was this one billboard, and billboards are expensive, but this one one that kept on coming up as you keep on driving. It's like, there it is again, there it is again. And it's this image of a guy uh, he's sitting at his desk, and he's piled up with what seems to look like bills. He's got his hand in his hair, and he's like this. He looks very um, concerned. All right, so this man looks real troubled as he's paging through all these debts, all these bills, and everything. And at the top of the billboard, it says, "It says this: Are you frustrated? Question mark. Are you frustrated? Question mark." At the bottom, it says, "Jesus." Is the answer so I'm thinking about okay so now what that billboard is telling us is that Jesus is the answer to your hardships in life your bills your documents that you can't find (laughs) Jesus bled and died so you can escape all those hard times in life and as I was driving of course you a lot of time to think because the wife is sleeping and <laughs> Did I just say that? It's because I'm a good driver. She was knocked out, actually, out of fear of my driving. <laughs> and so here, um, I'm driving I'm thinking about, okay, so imagine the apostles, 11 of them, who were actually killed for their faith. Imagine them buying into that gospel there. Are you frustrated? Poor Paul, frustrated. Are you frustrated? Imagine imagine the, the, the prophets that were prophesying the Messiah. And they were awaiting this Jesus to come and hang on the cross and to become the mediator between man and God. Imagine those prophets going like, Wait a minute, I think you missed my prophecy. No, no, no. No, Jesus didn't come to alleviate your hardships. Imagine not just the apostles or the prophets, but imagine the early church fathers who were all martyred. How would they buy into that message? Imagine the reformers through the 1500s, 1600s. Imagine how as they were burning at the stake, somebody standing on the corner of a street. Are you frustrated? Jesus is your answer. I mean, could they buy into that message? Of course not. I love what I call the Athanasius principle. Athanasius was a a church, early church father in the first century and there was a heresy that was coming up where uh, these people believed that Jesus wasn't actually God. He was begotten by the Father, he was man, and he wasn't deity, so he couldn't be worshipped. And so they had what was called the Council of Nicaea. And we studied the Council of Nicaea in our midweek Bible study. I want to really encourage you if you haven't done them, if you're not part of the midweek Bible study, this coming here in January, you can join that same curriculum. We studied the early church and the history of the church. But we also studied these councils. of Nicaea was a very long council debate on this issue that arose. And the reason we studied those is because these things keep on popping up. For instance, we also studied Marcionism. But at this time, they were fighting the idea that was rising up in the churches that Jesus wasn't divine, therefore he ought not to be worshipped. But in the Bible, you see, the apostles calling him my Lord and my God. That's who they called Jesus, right, after he rose from the dead. And so Athanasius, an early church father, he basically set the record straight in this debate by saying to the opposing party, if you guys can point out to me one apostle, one disciple, who was basically just that same generation, right? They had just passed away. Many of the people at that council actually knew people who were discipled by the Apostle Paul, like Clement of Rome, and they they knew these people. So they understood the gospel as was taught by the actual people trained by the apostles. And, And here's Athanasius, and he says, Could you point out one apostle that taught that message at any one time? Well, nobody could actually point to it, right? Because nowhere did any one of the apostles ever teach that Jesus was not divine. On the contrary, they called him my Lord and my God. Emmanuel, God with us. So the Athanasius principle is ask yourself this question whenever you hear a message. Can you find one apostle that at any one time preached this guy's message? Any one time. That's the message. That's the question you have to ask yourself. So ask yourself, did any one apostle at any one time throughout their lives say, are you frustrated? Jesus is your answer. No. There's no such message in the Bible. Here's another one. A very prominent guy constantly preaching the idea that Jesus died so you can have favor. Not with God so much, but that you can have favor Not with God who looked down the corridor of time and before the foundations of the earth said, I choose you. I choose you. I choose her. Because remember, that's what the Bible says, those whom He foreknew, He also predestined and those whom He predestined, He also calls through the gospel, and those whom He calls through the gospel, He also justified by the cross, and those whom He justified through the cross, He also glorified, okay? So God says, before the foundations of the earth, He knew you. He chose you. He picked you. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you, Jesus said. So it's not that God had God, you had favor with God and He chose you like Tina had favor with and I asked her to marry me. It's not that God did the same thing with you and said, hey, you know what? I want you to be the bride to my son, Jesus. It's not that He favored you that way. No, 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 no. These guys, they're like, you know, Jesus died upon a cross and the reason He died is so you can now have favor with the clerk at the DMV. So you can have favor. You can have favor with that bank manager when you sit in front of him. It's got nothing to do with God choosing you, and predestining you, and 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 foreknowing you. And it's got nothing to do with the fact that somebody had favor with God. Therefore, God chose that person. No, no, no. It's got you got favor with your boss. You got favor with the (laughs) in-laws. Thank you, Jesus. Dying on that cross and shedding your blood, I got favor with that person I'm trying to date. Even though Jesus actually said, they hated me, therefore they will hate you. They will hate you. No, no. These guys, they don't flinch. They don't believe that scripture makes their message less valid at all. No, no. They preach favor. That's why Jesus died and shed His blood. So they say. Others are selling, watch this one, others are selling a gospel with a purpose of reversing the curse in such a way that uh, men no longer have to make a living by the sweat of their brow. Remember in the garden, Adam and Eve fell and God said, From this day on, man, you will make a living by the sweat of your brow because this this earth is cursed. That means you're not going to walk out of your back door, your farmhouse back door and see, Wow, look at all these crops. No, you're gonna, without doing anything, you're not gonna walk out there seeing crops. You're gonna walk out there seeing what? Weeds, okay? Uh, the lady doesn't walk out of, a, out of a back door going like, wow, I didn't do a thing. And look at this beautiful garden. No, you're gonna see a mess, right? And so by the sweat of your brow, you will make a living because of sin and the curse. And women, they're gonna give labor in what? Pain. So now... Apparently, according to these guys, um, the gospel, Jesus died upon a cross, so you don't have to sweat anymore. All all you do is believe. Watch God take care of you. And to the ladies, you know what? You shouldn't be in pain. (laughs) Trust me, you shouldn't, they say. Like, all right then. (laughs) Try that one on. Jesus died for that? Here's another one. Preaching the gospel or the reason why Jesus came to die was to save people from poverty. Jesus died on the cross so poverty can be eliminated in the lives of those who believe. Even though Jesus said this, and I quote, the poor you will have with you always, inside and outside of the church, you always have the poor. No, not to these people. That doesn't matter to these guys. The gospel they preach promises, the promises all the poor that they too can be financially rich Jesus died, apparently, that's the reason He came, died upon a cross, bled so that this poverty issue could be dealt with. Okay? Financial poverty issue, excuse me. Here's another one. Uh, Here's one gospel that became very popular not so long ago. That's Jesus died so you can be free. Jesus died so you can be free. And, and of course, all these have verses, right? For instance, this one. They'll take the verse... For whom the sun sets free is what? Free? Indeed. Whom the sun sets free is what? Free? Indeed. Okay. The only thing is, they take the word freedom there, and they they basically define it as free from responsibilities. Or free from having to be held accountable. Or free from moral standards. Or free from God's desires as to how I'm supposed to live. I'm actually free to live any way I wish because Jesus set me free to do just whatever I want. When in fact, that scripture teaches us that the person that Jesus sets free is not free from having to serve God faithfully. No, no, no. That scripture really tells us that we are free uh, from the slavery we were under due to sin. Sin slavery. Did you know that you are always a sin? Uh, you're always, excuse me, you're always a slave. You were born in sin, therefore you were a slave to sin, and you couldn't help but serve sin. You had to. Your flesh and your heart and your mind, it was an enemy of all righteousness, all of God, loved sin, loved darkness. The Bible says so, they loved darkness rather than light, right? You loved sin, you loved darkness, and you loved to give yourself to sin, and you loved to serve it. But then God comes, He breathes life into you, (gasps) He births you anew. You. He gives you the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. And you turn with that gift to God and you put your faith in Christ. That's what the Bible said. The apostle preached repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. That's exactly the message they preached. Both of those turned repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ as this new creature with this new desire to now love righteousness and hate their own evil, you see? So it's a new creature, brand new creature. Now you were no longer a, you're no longer as sin, not to fear, but to excuse me. You're no longer a slave, not to fear, but to sin. I know that's a great song, but really, Jesus said, whom the sun sets free is free indeed from the slavery of sin. That's what you're free from. Free from being a slave to sin completely the Bible says Paul's preaching a slave unto what righteousness your will is always bound by one or other thing it's either bound by by sin or bound by righteousness now for those of you who are born again your heart goes like oh I am bound to righteousness and the proof of it is now that I don't chase after in order to love my sin comfortably and give myself comfortably to it. Now, I hate that. I hate that. Even though the flesh wants it, I hate it every time I give myself to it. But when I give myself to righteousness, oh, it's like I can breathe. Isn't that true of you? That's a sign of the fact that he has regenerated you. He has made you a new creature. So when this gospel that came that said Jesus came to die and bleed so that I can be free from responsibilities, moral standards or accountability to God that really like wow okay missed it. The latest anti-gospel cult is that Jesus died so every person can have equal outcomes. Uh, jesus can have equal outcomes so you know you see people believing jesus died so i don't have to experience hardships jesus died and he's the answer to my frustration jesus died and shed his blood so i can have favor with the clerk at the dmv jesus died and shed his blood so i don't have to earn a living by the sweat of my brow or give birth in pain jesus died so so i can be free from poverty i just don't want to be poor no more and or jesus died and shed his blood so that i can be free to really kind of like now i can do whatever i want to do comfortably Uh, you know now i i don't have to give an account because jesus took my my missteps and my sins away it's not just those gospels that are surfacing and floating but it's also now this newest one that i want to make sure we outline and um, we see it for what it is it's a different gospel. And it's that Jesus came and died and shed his blood so there can be equal outcomes inside and outside of the church. They claim that the gospel doesn't, f- uh, you know, the, the, the gospel that does not fight for equal outcomes is not the true gospel. You've started hearing it, and you'll hear it all the more. I just wonder about those guys. Unfortunately, it's been pretty earth-shattering for Tina and I. As many of them are people who we've become very fond of over the last two years. I'm amazed at it. But I read Paul. Paul said in that opening verse, he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Christ for a different gospel. It's an amazing thing how quickly that happened. But I want to ask a couple of questions, at least to those guys, which none of them know me. I just wonder about those preachers who believe that the gospel that doesn't fight for equal outcomes isn't the true, complete gospel. The question to them is, if Jesus died to ensure equal outcomes, and that all people should end up equally wealthy, inside of the church and in society if that's what we're supposed to fight for then why does God at the great white throne judgment suddenly change his mind regarding all these equal outcomes send some to heaven and some to hell I mean that's like the most unequal outcome I've ever (laughs) seen in my life is that really God's plan? you see if you change the purpose of the message of Christ You lose all of it. Paul said, let that man be accursed. He said it twice. We cannot play around with the gospel and make it unpure. That is the greatest crime of all. That's the greatest eternal spiritual crime. So in our effort to drill down deep into God's truth regarding The question, why did Jesus come to die? We have to ask a few questions in order to give a complete answer. And the first question I would like to answer is, who killed Jesus? Like, who killed Him? Many people are very anti-Semitic and have been throughout time. And one of the reasons some are very anti-Semitic is because they believe that the Jews killed Jesus. Others say, the religious leaders killed Jesus. Others say, that the Roman Empire, the Roman soldiers killed Jesus. Well, who killed Jesus? If we had to look at scriptures, there's only one answer throughout scriptures, and that is that God did it. God the Father killed Jesus, his son. Isaiah 53, verse 10 says, But the Lord was pleased to do what? To crush him. It pleased God to crush his son. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. He delivered his son up for us all. God killed his son. Acts 4, 27 and 28 says, For truly in the city, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the Jews. Like everybody, everybody gathered around the cross. To do what? Verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your purposes, God, predestined to occur. There it is. (laughs) All these people came to kill Jesus. Pilate, Herod, the Jews, the Gentiles. All of them came to kill him. And then he says, why? Verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your purposes predestined to occur. God chose it to happen. We also see that in Genesis, I believe 20, verse 50, where Joseph, a type of Christ, said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant it. He meant that to happen for good. God planned it. You see, God planned Christ's crucifixion, and by the, by, by the means of, human, of wicked men, He accomplished everything He planned. You see, one of the most stunning statements Jesus ever made was about His own death and resurrection in John 10, verse 17 and 18. He says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I give my life so I can raise it again. No one takes my life from me, Jesus says, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay down my own life, and I have authority to take it up again. Nobody took Jesus' life. God ordained it. Jesus agreed and gave himself. That's why he's a gift. He wasn't forced to the cross. He walked there. He gave himself. And the Bible says Satan, if if he knew, if he knew, he would never have crucified the Son of God. He would never have done it. But like Judas played into God's plans, like Pharaoh played into God's plans, like Nero played into God's plans, so also Satan constantly plays into God's plans. And that's why the Bible says, for those who love God and are called according to His purposes, all things work together for your good. Isn't that good news? (laughs) That's good news. You look around the world and you see what's happening, guess what? It's for your good. It's for your good. God can use the most evil person who ever existed and go like, yep, it's my puppet right there. I will use that person for my glory. So the central issue of Jesus' death is not the cause, but it's the reason. It's not the cause of his death but the purpose for his death, the meaning of his death. The most infinitely important question is not who killed Jesus, but why did he come to die? You see, the controversy over, about which human killed Jesus is marginal. He chose to die. His heavenly Father ordained him to die. Christ embraced that, ordina, ordain, uh, that, that plan of God. And humans are simply instruments that play into that. So the main question, therefore, is not which humans brought about the death of Jesus, but what did the death of Jesus bring about in humans? That's the question. So we have to keep drilling in order to find the heart of why did Jesus come to die on a cross the way He did. And if we can find the answer to that question, we can wrap our lives around that truth, and God will be glorified by this God-exalting, gospel-glorifying life. But if we miss that question and we don't answer it completely accurately, we will be chasing after what God never called us to. So in order to establish the reasons Christ came to die, we have to basically first outline what? The things he did not die for. Okay. People oftentimes think he did. So here are four purposes Jesus had absolutely no interest in dying for. He didn't come for it. He didn't didn't preach it. He didn't proclaim it. He didn't serve that purpose. And he didn't spill his blood for it. Not a drop. Are you ready? Number one, Jesus did not die to establish world peace. He did not die for world peace. Matthew 10, 34 says that. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I mean, Jesus actually says that. How much more do we have to hear from Him? But He repeats it. He says, I did not come to bring peace. (laughs) He says, but I came to bring a sword. Oh, my. Oh, my. He came to bring a sword. This is often misunderstood. because Jesus never encouraged his followers to to pick up swords, right? As a matter of fact, when one of his disciples pulled his sword from his sleeve and cut off the ear of a Roman soldier when they came to arrest Jesus, Jesus stopped and said, put that back. He rebuked him. He picked up that man's ear, and he healed it right there. And they still go about arresting him. I'm amazed. If my ear gets chopped off, he picks up my ear, dusts it off, and he puts it back on my head, and it goes back. I'm like, I'm not arresting that guy. <laughs> I'm like, somebody else go ahead. I'm on your side, brother. <laughs> but now these guys go out and they arrest him, right? He did not call people to draw the sword. Even though he says right here, my kingdom is not of this world. If my, he's, Excuse me, he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What sword did he bring? Well, think about it. What sword did Jesus bring? He brought Himself. He brought Himself because He was the Word of God in the flesh, and the Bible says the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. He came to divide light from darkness in this world, righteousness from unrighteousness, good from evil. He is the one that slices right down the middle. He divides everything he touches. There wasn't a time Jesus showed up where there wasn't a division in families and a division in society. Every time Jesus shows up, something splits. He dies. The moment he says, it is finished, the curtain between the Holy and the Holy of Holies just rips open. Jesus comes back again at the end of time. He puts his foot down on the mountain, and the Bible says the mountain goes splits. There isn't a time Jesus shows up where everything doesn't divide. So he says, I did not come to bring world peace. Therefore, to believe that Jesus came to die and shed his blood so that humanity could experience world peace is a total misrepresentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It misses the core of it. It misses the purpose of it. It misses the meaning thereof. It misses the heart of God's plan. It is a different gospel. Number two, Jesus did not die to save the Western world from crumbling. He's not interested. I'll, I'll be more specific. Jesus did not die for our Constitution. He did not die for the West. Matthew 18, 36 says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. My kingdom is not of this realm. If Jesus is king, he's king of God's kingdom, not of man's. But his purpose was not to conquer the Roman Empire, and his purpose is not He didn't come to die so that the West can remain a democracy. You have to filter that through your heart and mind. Number three, Jesus did not die for capitalism. Jesus did not die for communism. Now, I'm not saying one is not wise. And the other one is not foolish. No, I'm just saying Jesus didn't die for philosophies. He didn't die for uh, political systems. (coughs) He didn't die for a continent specific. He didn't die for a region. Number four, Jesus did not die to save the whales. He did not die to protect the ozone layer. He did not die to save the planet as we know it. How many of you saw that movie that uh, Russell Crowe played in called Noah? Anybody? Saw Noah? Well, I saw the trailer. I was so excited about that movie, and I thought, look at this. Look at how God uses those vessels of dishonor for his glory, you know? So I paid the tickets. I left about, I don't know, was it 10, 20 minutes into it, where they took the whole entire story of Noah, and they showed God judging the world because, or people in the world, because they did not care for the earth. <coughs> Jesus did not die to save this planet. The truth is, Jesus is actually going to uncreate this planet. It's not your hairspray that's destroying the earth. No. <laughs> Jesus is coming back, and he's going to destroy the earth, the Bible says. He's going to uncreate the cre- his creation, and then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth And that is our future. So, if the gospel that you're hearing have any of these in it, it misses the mark. If the gospel you're hearing is a gospel that's telling people they don't have to have hardships, the gospel you're hearing are telling people they don't have to work with the sweat of their brow in order to make a living or give birth without pain. The Gospel you hearing is that Jesus died and shed His blood, so you can have favor with your in-laws and with the person you're trying to date. The Gospel you hearing are making promises that all poor people can be wealthy financially because Jesus died and shed His blood. Thank you, God, if you didn't shed your blood, I would never have had this raise. If you're hearing a gospel that says that you are free from responsibilities and being accountable to God or that you're free from moral standards, this is not really the gospel. If you're hearing a gospel that's telling you that the real gospel will fight for equal outcomes, this is not the gospel, folks. That's a lie. Does the Bible not say clearly, who are you, O man? Who are you to tell the the potter what to do? Doesn't he have the right to take the clay and make one vessel of honor and another vessel of dishonor? Talk about unequal outcomes. When he talks about the vessel of dishonor, he's really talking about a potty, right? When God created, he chose to make a pharaoh He chose before time that there was going to be a Judas. And the funny thing to me is, have you ever thought about it? Judas, of all all the disciples, the guy that was the liar and the thief, he makes him the treasurer. (laughs) Go figure. Makes no excuse for it. But if you're hearing these messages, if those are the reasons why you believe Jesus came to die, Believe that he came to die for world peace or that he came to die to to maintain, you know, uh, the position of the West. Or if he came to die, you know, for communism, for capitalism, he came to die so that the earth can be saved and the whales don't have to die and be extinct and the ozone layer can be fixed. If those are the things, folks, that that, that is just the craziest thing. So now we come to that final question. Well, then why did Jesus come to this earth to actually die and shed His blood? What is the heart of that? Well, first, Jesus gave gave His life on a cross and He bled, number one, to absorb the wrath of God against my sin. He came to this earth, hung upon a cross, and gave Himself, nobody took His life, so that he could absorb all of God's wrath that was aimed at you. He came and He interjected Himself between God and you. He came and interceded between God and you, and He swallowed up, and He absorbed up all of God's wrath against your wickedly evil sin, your nature and your deeds. That's why Jesus came, in order to explain the staggering power of this truth in 1 John 4.10. We have to answer a few questions, but here is 1 John 4.10. It says, in this is love. Now he's going to explain to you what love is. Okay? He says, this is love. Not that we love God. Because folks, let me just tell you, your love for God is so imperfect, it's a sin. (laughs) I don't know if I should say it that way, because I know somebody's going to misunderstand, but please don't misunderstand me. Even your repentance isn't perfect. There's actually nothing about you that's perfect to God. God's standards are so high. If you think, no, well, my repentance was perfect, my love is perfect, you don't know God. Because if you know who God was, you go like, oops, (laughs) actually, there isn't anything I can do that is not sin. Actually, all things are sin I do. Even the good I do, the Bible says, is like rags before God. The only thing that pleases God in regards to you is your faith in Christ. That's the only thing. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Even your repentance doesn't please. Nothing about you pleases God. Well, I've been really good. No, that doesn't please God either. Well, I haven't been bad at all. Well, that doesn't please God at all. It's your faith in Christ. It's the only thing that brings pleasure to God regarding my life. So here he says, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us. How? He sent his son. You see, this is the reason why Jesus came. It's not to show us God's love, but it's because of God's love he came. And now he came due to God's love for us. He sent Jesus. Now he's going to tell us why. He sent His Son, why? To be the propitiation, the propitiation for our sins. Okay. Not for a broken world, an ozone layer, not for unequal outcomes, not for any of that, not for favor with your bank manager, no, no, for the propitiation of our sin. Can everybody say sin, please? That is something you don't hear in church anymore. You hear it in churches about well as often as you hear it at a TED Talk, sin. Interestingly enough, that's the reason Jesus came, because of your sin and my sin. You see, the Bible is very simple. It's written in two parts, right? The first part is to help you understand that you are a sinner, and it help you understand just how wicked your sin is before a perfectly holy God. And the second, and how it is impossible for man to save himself. That's why Jesus said what is impossible with man becomes Possible with God. He says, what you see in the Old Testament proves to you that it's what, what you need to be saved is impossible with you, but look towards what I'm doing, because what I'm doing makes all things possible, but what I'm doing is God's doing. What's impossible with man is possible with God. So the Old Testament shows you how wicked and how deep and how corrupted your sin is, but the New Testament shows God's plan of saving you from that sin. Man's only problem is sin and God's only ultimate plan is the redemption of his body that he chose, the church, the bride he chose for his son, Jesus. So that's what it says right here. 1 John 4:10. 10. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. that is the reason Jesus came to die upon a cross and shed his blood for you and I to absorb God's wrath against my sin. So we have to answer a few questions in order to really understand what he said there. The first is, well, what is is sin? Because I'm not really that sinful. If you ask most people, people go like, no, I'm not that bad because they compare themselves with other people. They compare themselves with other people and they compare themselves with themselves. Well, today I'm much better than what I used to be 10 years ago, so you know what? I'm doing great. Well, what is sin? If we don't know what sin is, we wouldn't know what Jesus came to die for. If we don't know what sin is, we wouldn't know what we were forgiven of. If we don't know what we're forgiven of, then why would we even be grateful? If we don't know what He paid for, why would we find Him necessary? Watch this. If you make little of sin, you make little of the Savior of that sin. If sin is trivial, then the Savior of your sin, your Savior from your sin, is trivial. This is why people can actually really just buy into the homeboy Jesus. (laughs) He's actually my friend. He's not my savior or king. And the reason people can buy into that easily is because they've lost sight about what sin is and how sinful they are. So I wanted to show you this video, which I've shown before, but this has to be driven home into our foundations. Thank you, Han.
1: Sin is the glory of God, not honored. The holiness of God, not reverenced. The greatness of God, not admired. The power of God, not praised. The truth of God, not sought. The wisdom of God, not esteemed. The beauty of God, not treasured. The goodness of God, not savored. The faithfulness of God, not trusted. The promises of God, not believed. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not feared. The grace of God not cherished. The presence of God not prized. The person of God not. exploitation, prejudice, abortion, infractions of our religious liberty, manifold injustices of man to man, and feel little or no remorse or indignation or outrage that God is disregarded, disbelieved, disobeyed, dishonored, and thus belittled by millions and millions. creatures.
0: When King David was confronted by the prophet because of his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, he falls to his knees and he says, My God, For against you and you alone have I sinned. My sin is against you. When Joseph was lured by Potiphar's wife to commit adultery while Potiphar was out of the house, he responds, Joseph responds to this woman. And he says to her, how can I do this thing and sin against my God? the reason people can become so indignant over social issues is because they see a sin against another person. And they, qual- they, they qualify and quantify that as a sin, evil and wicked. But they've become completely blind of the fact that their sin is not against another. Their sin is ultimately against God. And that's what matters. The sin that I have sinned against God. And every one of my sins are against God. Why? Because I am an image bearer of God. And every one of my sins, repentance before God, is what's required. That's what Christ came to pay for. So why is our sin deserving of death and eternal hell? Because of who we sinned against. That's why. You see, I, I can explain it to you this way. Imagine for a moment, I was playing basketball. And imagine I was playing basketball with a bunch of friends of mine and, and the game came to a head to an end and, and, and emotions run real high, you know, and and one of the guys kept on doing something that that obstructed me or whatever, and I, and I said, I said, uh, I said this, this to him, uh, the heat of the moment, if you, if you don't watch it, I will punch you in the face. Now if I say that on the basketball court with a bunch of friends of mine, what are the results? Well, you know, a little tough relationship for a little bit there, you yeah? know? But imagine that exact same statement, that exact same threat coming from me in a different context. Imagine for a moment, I happen to have dinner with the Queen of England, and uh, you have all the guards standing around with uh, their spears and their guns and their hats, and they're guarding this dinner we're having, and for whatever reason, I jump up and I do the exact same thing. I put my finger in the Queen's face and I say the exact same words. If you don't watch it, I will punch you in the face. What do you think the the, the results will be, the outcome? (laughs) Okay, I'm going down, right? There are things you can say to me, and nof- nobody could care. But if you had to ever stand before the president and you had to say those same things, <clears throat> you'll get tackled by the Secret Service. Okay, why is this? Why is this? Because the seriousness of an insult rises with the dignity of the one insulted. The seriousness of that crime rises depending upon the dignity of the one the crime was committed against. So, for you to sin against me... hmm. But don't forget, if that sin is against God, David, if that sin is against God, Joseph, if that sin is against God, now, that's a serious crime because of who it was against. And here's the problem, family. Since we don't know who God is, we don't know his attributes. We don't know how holy and supreme he is. Over the universe. And, and we don't know his, his sovereignty. I mean the queen is sovereign. But we don't know the sovereignty of God. Because if we did. We would shudder at the idea of sinning against him. This is why the Bible says. And the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord is to depart from evil. Right? It's because when I, when I see who he is. I will shudder at the idea of sinning against him. But because we don't know really who God is, we don't see sin for what it is. We see it as a mistake. That was a mistake. They stepped out of line. And we trivialize our sin because we don't know God. And when we trivialize that sin, we also trivialize the Savior from that sin. And that is another sin. Oh, how desperately we need salvation from our sin so firstly we have to understand our sin and how wicked it is before God secondly we have to answer the question what is the wrath of God against my sin well the wrath of God is a divine response to man's to human sin and human disobedience that's the wrath of God God is just and those scales will be balanced and our sin will be met with the wrath of God he's divine response to man's wicked, sinful disobedience and rebellion. Thirdly, we have to, in order to understand that verse, we have to ask the question, what is propitiation? Well, propitiation is the removal of God's wrath against our sin by providing a substitute. That's what it is. It's the removal of God's wrath that is 100% deserving against your sin. But what happened is, it w- God wasn't talked out of his wrath. Jesus didn't come and say, Okay, Jesus, uh, okay, God, Father, let's talk about this. Don't you love him? Let's not, let's not pour wrath, the wrath out on him. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus said, What I will do is I will go and I will die upon a cross and I will interject myself between you, God, and them, and I will absorb all of that wrath so that they can escape your wrath against sin. It's not that God wasn't going to make him pay. No, there was a payment made, and that payment is Jesus Christ himself. And you are free from that wrath. A great picture of that is when is when Noah went through that door. Remember, the Bible says Jesus is the door. That wooden door on the ark, which is a type of the cross, when he passed through that door, it shut behind him. And God God's wrath fell on the earth because of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God destroyed the earth with a flood. But guess what? Inside of that ark, safely kept, was Noah and his family. In the same way, those who enter through Christ, he absorbs that wrath against their sin. And that is who Jesus became for us. A propitiation for our sin. This is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. He was the substitute that purchased atonement for us, and we can be at one mint with God again. Atonement at one with God. So here's the first reason Jesus died, or he came to die upon a cross. This is the heart of the gospel, so he could absorb. Within Himself and upon Himself, God's wrath against my sin and your sin. That is why Jesus died. You go like, oh, that's boring. It's because you don't know God, therefore you don't know your sin against God, and therefore you do not know God's wrath that's coming upon you. But if you understood that, this would be the greatest news you have ever heard in your life. That's good news. The second reason why, well, let me just read Romans 5, 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why he came. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Christ. That's why Jesus came, and that's why he bled, and that's why he gave his life to die, because of the wrath of God. You might say... Wow, so I learned today that God killed Jesus. Yeah. You know what else? He sent Jesus to save you from Himself. God sent Jesus to save me from God Himself. Yes! He saved you from the wrath against your sin. Number two, Jesus gave His life on a cross to become a ransom for many not everyone but for many not all for many Mark 10 45 says for even the Son for even the Son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many so if we had to ask the question who received the ransom guess what the answer would be well many would say okay well Jesus came and paid the price so Satan could release us from his prison although Satan didn't receive anything from God, because the ransom wasn't paid to Satan. The ransom Jesus paid upon the cross was to God, His Father. It says it. In in Ephesians 5.20, it says, Christ gave Himself up for us an offering to God. Because when Jesus breathed His last, Satan didn't win a thing. He lost everything. He did not receive a payment. The payment was made to God. Hebrews 9.14 says the same thing. Christ offered Himself without blemish to God. Christ offered Himself without blemish. He had no sin. He offered Himself to God on our behalf. Satan lost on that day. Christ won a bride. So the ransom paid of this release from God's wrath against our sin is the very life of Christ. This was the reason Jesus came to die so he could be a ransom to pay God for you. What good news. This is the heart of the gospel. Why? Because this is actually the reason why Jesus came to this earth to die on a cross. It had nothing to do with the ozone layer. It had nothing to do with equal outcomes. It it, it has nothing to do with financial poverty as such. It had nothing to do with finding favor from the world. It had nothing to do with not having to sweat or give birth in pain. It had nothing to do with escaping hardships in this world. No, He came to die to be a propitiation for your sin. Number three, Jesus gave His life on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Every single time it talks about why Jesus came, it says it's for your sin against God. That's the gospel. So number three, Jesus gave His life on a cross for the forgiveness for the forgiveness of our sin. Matthew twenty six twenty eight says, "For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you on the cross. This is what He came to die for. Which is poured out for many." For forgiveness of sins not all but for many forgiveness of sins so Jesus came to die for this purpose that your sin against God could be dealt with (coughs) that is why Jesus came number four Jesus came to die in order to deliver us from this present evil age to deliver you and me from this present evil age How many of you would agree with me that this present age is evil? (laughs) Anybody? He came to deliver you from this present evil age. When you read through Romans chapter 1, you will see that it actually identifies what a New Testament, God's New Testament's response to man's sin is. Romans chapter 1 shows you God's wrath upon evildoers in the new testament and one of the things is he lists in that chapter all of the different evils people participate in and at the end he says he says and they will be inventors of evil (laughs) they will be inventors of evil they have they'll have this creativity about themselves where they can you think like in the 60s and 70s you thought man alive look at how far this world has fallen Okay, fast forward 40 years. You go, what in the world? (laughs) We have 65 plus genders. Whoever could have thought this was possible. They are inventors of evil. They invent. Now imagine. Imagine what our children are going to experience in 20 years from today. Because inventors of evil is one of the gifts God gives these fallen, rebellious, unregenerate people. That's His wrath upon them. Romans chapter 1. So number four, we see that God gave His Son to deliver us from this present evil age. I'll read it to you in Galatians 1 verse 4. It says, Who gave Himself for our sins, Jesus gave Himself for our sins, so that He, Jesus, might rescue us from this present evil age. He might rescue us from this present evil age. So when the Bible says that Christ gave Himself to deliver us from this present evil age or to rescue us from this present evil age, it doesn't mean that He will take us out of this world. In other words, Jesus dies upon a cross and we're all gone. No, we are not of this world, even though we are in this world. So He didn't come to rip us out of this world. It does not mean that, but that He will deliver us from the power of the evil in it. So He is dying upon a cross, shedding His blood, so He could deliver you from the slavery that you have with sin and that you will be free from the effects of that sin, that you will be free from the crushing hand of that sin in this world. So He will deliver us from the power of the evil in this world. That's why we can confidently, family, we can confidently walk through this evil world, knowing that Christ died to protect me, save me and protect me. He's the author and the finisher of the salvation that I have in Him. (laughs) Finally, Jesus gave His life on a cross to reconcile us to God. He gave us His life upon a cross willingly, shed His blood to reconcile us with God. Romans 5.10 says, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through what the death of his son that is what the crucifixion did for you and I reconciliation with God we shall be saved by his life also he says so here's man fallen man he falls into sin He falls into slavery to sin. He is now ruled by sin. He loves darkness, not light. He desires evil and wickedness. He can't help himself but act that way. He's now a fallen man. In comparison to a perfectly holy God, He's no longer compatible in any way, not relationally, not morally. In no way is He compatible with this holy God. And God, being just, has to punish all sin. But Christ interjects himself, absorbs all of God's punishment and wrath against your sin and reconciles you, a fallen man, to a perfect and holy God. This was the work of Christ upon a cross. This is the gospel. It has nothing to do with equal outcomes in this world. It has nothing to do with escaping hardships in this world. It has nothing to do with paying my bills. He did not come to die for that. I'm not saying God is not willing to do for you certain things. I'm just saying, this is not why Jesus died. This is not why He shed His blood. It rains on the just and the unjust alike, the righteous and the unrighteous alike. It rains, God blesses all. But this is not why Jesus came and shed His blood. He came and shed His blood to absorb God's wrath against you to be a ransom for you. He was paid out to God so you can be free from slavery. He purchased you. He came so that you can be forgiven of all of your sinful nature and sinful acts. He died so that you can be delivered from this present evil age, insulated, worshiping God in the middle of a fire, in the furnace. He came and He died upon a cross so you can be reconciled to God. Everything has to do with you, your sin against God. This is why Jesus died upon a cross. It has got nothing to do with anything else but that. So He came to pay the full penalty for our sin against God. You hear a gospel that is void of sin. It really makes the cross... It fills the cross with a purpose other than what it was there for, which is to to pay for that sin. So to answer the question, what is the heart of the gospel? It is that Jesus came to die for your sin. And we will never be thankful until we know how holy God is, because until we know how holy God is, we will never know how sinful we are. And until we know how sinful we are, we wouldn't know what Christ came to forgive us for. And if we don't know what God sent Christ to forgive us for, why would we ever be thankful or grateful to God for anything? Except for a parking spot at the mall. It trivializes the death of Christ. All of those messages are garbage in light of what Jesus actually came to save us from, which is eternal separation and damnation so therefore we can be thankful we can be thankful when we find the answer to the question why did Jesus come to die for me let's bow our heads and close our eyes Father God may this become more real to us than anything else because nothing else no other gospel is sufficient no other gospel answers the question of man's sin. It doesn't matter how wonderful those promises may seem. That is not what you meant when you sent your Son. The original, most prominent, most fundamental reason Jesus died was so we can be free from the slavery of sin, from the eternal consequences of sin. From God's wrath against our sin,
1: and so that we can be made anew.